So Zach always talks about this is his favorite Sunday of the entire year. And I was like, why? Half of our church is out of town. But he's like, the reason that I love this Sunday is because it's like right after Christmas, I get to preach on whatever I want to teach on. And so I get to preach on whatever I want to teach on today, which is kind of cool. And so today, I like the last week, I've been kind of reflecting on 2019. Now, some of you may have had an amazing 2019. Some of you may have had the worst year ever, and that's okay. But I was looking, how many of you like do, I guess, like things, your goals for the year? How many of you set goals every year? A few of you. So I always write down on a note card, like five or six goals for the upcoming year. Well, unfortunately, I found my goals for 2019 this week in my nightstand. So I pulled it out and I was like, let's see what, how good I did. Well, the thing is, if you really haven't looked at your goals since the beginning of the year, you probably didn't accomplish. So I accomplished two of my goals and one of them was getting married. So I mean, I couldn't really screw that one up, I guess. So I really didn't accomplish many of my goals this year. But one thing that I also did this, uh, reflecting on this year is we watched this show, I think ABC did it, like 2019 recap, right? And it showed all of the big things that happened in the past year. And one thing that I found that was very, very embarrassing is that this year's song was Old Town Road. How did we let that happen, people? How did we let that be the year that defines, or the song that defines this year, we can do better in 2020? But anyway, when I was thinking about 2019, when I was thinking about preparing for 2020, I thought about many of us in this room, many people in, our, in my family as well, have had difficult years or are going to have a difficult year. And this question came to my mind, have you ever gone through something super difficult? Have you ever gone through something difficult, like super difficult? This year, maybe you had something super difficult. Maybe you're like, no, I had a good year. But when I asked this question, you probably had one experience come to your mind. One experience that just anytime you think of a difficult patch in your life, this thought comes to your mind. I have a few of those as well. But for me today, I'm gonna to share a story that really doesn't have a lot to do, do with me, but it has to do with somebody that I watch go through a very, very difficult time. Um, I went to a university that does kind of the RA position a little bit differently. Um, my job at at this university wasn't just to make sure that the building was taken care of and that nobody died. My job was also to make sure that every student was known, every student was cared for, every student was loved, that we knew how they were doing academically, we knew how they were doing spiritually. So I took my job very seriously, um, especially when I was a little sophomore trying to do this job. I was like, I'm gonna love all these guys super, super well. Well, that first year, my leadership team met, I guess the week before school started to go through training. And we had this student, and his name was Alvante, and he came in and he said, hello, my name is, uh, he introduced himself as Alvin, because that's what he went by. My name is Alvin, and I'm, on, and I'm on your leadership team. And I said, your name is Alvin, but you are not on our leadership team, um, because we got to select that. And he was like, no, like the office told me I'm on your leadership team. And I was like, no, like that doesn't make any sense, like we pick. And so like me and my RA partner, we got together and we were like, what do we do? Like, do we just tell this guy, sorry, like go somewhere else? And we decided that we would get to know him and then we would decide if he was a good fit for our hall or not. Well, it just so happens that Alvin was a perfect fit for our hall. Alvin was somebody that has a ton of energy. He's always cracking jokes. He just was the life of the party, but he also loved the Lord a whole, whole lot. So Alvin came in, jumped right into our leadership team, 
was discipling his guys super, super well. Like I said, the life of the party, the guy telling all the jokes. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. But then we went home for Thanksgiving break. And Alvin, I knew his story. Alvin lived in Detroit in a pretty rough neighborhood. He lived in a single-parent home with just his mother. His dad was kind of in the picture, but only really talked to him once or twice a year. He loved his mom. He loved his mom and his grandma so much because they cared for him. They provided for him. But he calls me, and usually when he would call me, he'd be like, TJ, what's up? But this time, he was just like, TJ. And he was just silent. That awkwardly long pause. And he says, TJ, I just got a call that my mom has been killed in a car accident. She had been driving home from like her second job that late one night and a drunk driver hit her and killed her on impact. So now Alvin, being the oldest male, being really the only man of faith in his family, took on a lot of responsibility. All his family members were angry at God saying, how could this happen? How could God take away our mom? And he stuck there with all those questions. Through the next few weeks, Alvin actually would come back to school that next semester. And I just remember sitting in the room with him and having no idea what to say. No idea what to say, because what do you say when somebody loses their mom? And what I do remember, though, is Alvin would ask questions. There would be times where he'd get angry. He'd get frustrated. There'd be times where he'd make jokes that made everybody uncomfortable. But I just saw him in this dark, dark place, naturally so. Some of you can relate to Alvin's story. Maybe it wasn't you lost a loved one. Maybe some of you lost a job that was really important to you. Maybe some of you have lost your home. Maybe some of you had a relationship that went south, but you've been in a place where you felt like you were in darkness before. And that's a really difficult place to be. Being left in the, in the darkness is a really, really hard place to be. No one wants to be there, but just because of the world we live in, we're all going to experience it at least one time or another. Today, we're going to be we're going to be looking at a man that pretty much was born in that darkness. He physically was born blind in a time where he was judged every single day for his physical disability. A man that couldn't hold a job because of his disability. A man that his family really didn't know what to do with him. He was in that darkness all of the time. But before we look at John chapter nine today, I think it's important that we look at where Jesus is in his ministry. Jesus in his ministry right now, he has done five of the eight miracles that John talks about in his passage. Five of the eight that signify that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that the Jews have been waiting on. As he is going and he's doing these amazing things, preaching these messages, his crowds are growing, people are getting more and more excited, but not everybody's getting excited. The Jewish leaders in the, at the time, they started feeling insecure. They were like, is Jesus going to take all our power, all of our influence? And so they get more and more aggressive day by day as Jesus is doing his ministry. Progressively, they get more and more hostile. And Jesus goes 
at, right before our story today. And he talks about how he is the light of the world. And they start questioning who he is. They say, who are you? And he makes a statement that really makes them angry. He says this, before Abraham was born, I am. And here Jesus is speaking that he is God, that he has always been and that he will always be. And this frustrated the Jewish leaders so much that they went beyond verbal insults. They took it a step further. These leaders went, they picked up stones and they were ready to stone Jesus. Just imagine being Jesus and the disciples, right? They're standing there, and then all of a sudden, they see all these men pick up rocks ready to kill them. And what does the Bible say? It says, he hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. That's where we're at right before we have this encounter with the blind man. We have Jesus and his disciples having a near-death experience right before they encounter. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you have had near-death experiences, but usually after that, your mind's not necessarily in the right place. Usually you're distracted, you're confused. If I was a disciple, I'd be like, how is this happening? Like, I've been following this man. He's done everything right. Why are people trying to kill him? The disciples' mindset probably was a little off. Jesus was probably hurt that he, as the creator, was almost stoned by his creation, But that's where we're at. But yet, look at what Jesus does and what the disciples do in this passage. So John 9, 1, if you want to flip there. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you may just want to underline, born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. I'd underline the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So our big million dollar question today is, what do we do when we are in darkness? What do we do when we are in darkness? So the first few times I've read this. I mean, I've heard everybody probably in here has heard this story at least one time in their life. But when I read it most recently, about a month ago, I read this and I got so frustrated with the disciples. I got so frustrated with the disciples. I felt like the questions that they asked Jesus about this blind man were extremely insensitive. Because I mean, if you just read it at face value, they're just questioning, why is this man the way that he is? And I was just like, disciples, like you walk with Jesus. How can you be so insensitive towards this poor man? But the more and more that I kind of thought about it, the more and more that I read commentaries and things, the more and more I realized that the disciples were not being insensitive. They were asking these questions because they genuinely cared about this blind man, this man that had been suffering his entire life because of his disability. They weren't asking it to pick fun. They were asking this because they cared about this man's story and how he got where he was. Now, remember, they had just left this hostile environment where they had almost been stoned. And now they, despite all that, despite all the distractions, they see this man sitting on the ground and they say, Jesus, Jesus, what is this man's story? What is this man's story? And Jesus being Jesus, he knows this man's story. He created this man. And what does he say? 
that this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. There's a few things that kind of stand out to me in just these few verses. This man wasn't created by mistake. He's God's workmanship, just like each and every one of us are. We may not all be the sharpest. We may not all be the best looking, whatever it is, but none of us were made by mistake. God made us unique and special. Sometimes when we're in our dark place, we doubt our own abilities. We doubt the reason maybe why we're even here. But do you remember that God has made you special, that God has made you unique and that God has a purpose for your life? Because I'm sure that this blind man that would sit every day on the mat by himself, probably having very few interactions with people as he's begging for money, I'm sure that at times he questioned his purpose, why he was there. He probably asked God, why, why, do you, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me this way? And sometimes when we're in those dark places, we ask similar questions. So what do we do when we are in darkness? We remember that Jesus knows and cares about our struggles. We remember that Jesus knows and cares about our struggles. Jesus knew this man's story. He cared about him. He stopped and talked with him. But also the disciples cared about this man too. That's the reason they asked the question. You see, when you spend time with Jesus like the disciples did, you start to have the same heart that he does. You start having the same eyes towards hurting people that Jesus does. And the same should be true of us as disciples, as followers of Christ. We should start seeing the world the way that Jesus did. When we see someone hurting, we should care. We should care. But sometimes we just don't. We just see the same people every single day hurting and we walk right past them. But if you're in the darkness, are you believing the lie that you're alone? Because when you're in the darkness, when you're hurting, when you're desperate, sometimes you're drawn to isolation because that's a safe place where you don't, maybe don't have to face what you're really going through, where you don't have to hear what people are saying about you. So you withdraw because it's maybe a little more comfortable. But the thing about isolation is isolation breeds negativity. It breeds thoughts that aren't right. You see, you're not alone. Just like the disciples had a heart for this man, I can say with confidence that this church has a heart for people that are hurting. If you're hurting today, if you are in that dark place, know that Waterfront Church cares about you. We've actually spent a lot of time in the last two months thinking about how we can make sure that those that are hurting in our church get the care that they need. And we'll be rolling that out in the next few weeks. But just know this, if you're hurting today and you need help, we have deacons here that would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. You don't have to go through these difficult things alone. Let's continue reading in John 9, starting in verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool a silohim. This means sent. So the man went. I would underline, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. 
So whenever I read stories, and I did this with Zacchaeus kind of the last time that I talked, but I always like to put myself in the shoes of all the different individuals, right? And to see kind of what they would have seen. So in this story, I think sometimes we naturally jump to Jesus and how Jesus responded and what Jesus did. Maybe we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, but let's put ourselves in the shoes of the blind man the man living in darkness, the man that had pretty much been suffering his entire life because people thought that he had done wrong when he was in his mother's womb or that his parents had sinned. And so basically they just saw him as this giant symbol of sin and had just been isolated. So this man is sitting on the mat. He's begging for money like he has done probably every day of his life. He's sitting there and all of a sudden he starts hearing these men approach right? So we have Jesus and the disciples off in a distance. They're talking. Jesus probably said, this man over here, he was born blind. And the disciples asked the question, whose sin was it he or his parents? And so he's probably pretty engaged, right? Because when people talk about me, I know that I like poke my ear out and I'm trying to listen, right? So he hears this kind of conversation happening in the distance, and he's probably starting to lean in and to listen. Then Jesus says that he has a plan for this man. So he's probably a little more engaged than the crowd, Jesus and the disciples. He doesn't really know necessarily who is approaching him. He just has overheard this conversation, right? And they approach him. And then all of a sudden he hears, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, read the text. He hears somebody spit on the ground. He hears the splat. And then beyond the splat, What does he hear? This grown man playing in the dirt and in the mud. Now, if I was him, I would be probably very confused. I'd be very confused and honestly, maybe a little disgusted. And I'd think, what is this man about to do? I know he better not be about to wipe that mud on me. And then all of a sudden, he feels these fingers run over his eyes in this nasty spit mud on his eyes. Now, if I was him, I may have some choice words, right? I'd be like, who are you? And why did you just wipe your spit mud on my eyes? Like, I know you said God had a plan for me, but I don't think this is it. I don't think this is it. This spit mud being placed on my eyes. I don't know what you have in store, but this isn't it. But what I love about this is the man is blind. He's in a desperate, dark place. And then he gets nasty spit mud wiped on his eyes. And what this kind of, I kind of laughed when I read it. Sometimes when we're in a dark place, when we're in a desperate place, sometimes life has to get a little bit messier before it gets better. Sometimes life, when it's hard, gets harder. And we're just putting out little fires over and over. But here's what I love. Jesus, the reason that he used the spit mud was because there he was symbolizing that he was the God, the potter, that he had created man, that he had formed man, that he loved this man. He was talking about who he was, what he could do. Now, Jesus here, it seems like he's caring a lot, a lot about this man's physical needs, right? But in the chapter earlier, when he was about to be stoned, he was making a point how the religious leaders were blind. They were spiritually blind. And now he's giving this great example of this man that was blind, 
and he's giving him sight. But I asked you guys to underline what the man did in that last passage, right? And it says, so the man went. So what do we do when we are in darkness? We remember that because of Jesus, there is hope and we obey. And we obey. This man didn't know necessarily what was to come from this man rubbing dirt on his eyes. He didn't necessarily understand who Jesus was necessarily, but he was obedient and he hoped that something good was to come from it. Sometimes when we're in the midst of the darkness, we have no hope. We think that life can never get better, that things will never get the way that they once were, and that may be true. But living a life with no hope oftentimes just leads to darker and darker places. But when we have hope, when we think, hey, things can get better, usually our mindset, when it changes, our life feels a lot better. Here's the thing. When I was in seventh grade, this is a little bit of embarrassing, but I'm going to share it anyway. When I was in seventh grade, I was failing pretty much every academic class. The reason was sixth grade, I was diagnosed with double pneumonia and pleurisy and was like near death. And so my mom was like, oh, you can't go to school because you're in the hospital all the time. So she pulled me out and she homeschooled me, right? So when I say homeschooled, I, I mean that very, very loosely. I had like some academic books and I like looked at the answers in the back of the book. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. So I learned nothing sixth grade year. Seventh grade year, I got back into the school and I realized I had learned nothing in sixth grade. So naturally I start really suffering in my schoolwork in seventh grade. And I got all my other grades kind of up there again. But math, I was struggling so, so bad. My mom would pull me to the side and be like, honey, like, you got you to gotta do better. If not, you're never going to leave middle school. And so I was getting a little frustrated, a little annoyed. But somehow I passed seventh grade, which was a huge accomplishment, maybe the greatest thing I had done up to that point. I had gotten through seventh grade. I was going to eighth grade. And then all of a sudden, you hear the eighth graders talking about how hard their work is, right? And so naturally I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am going to die in eighth grade. <laughs> there is no way I'm going to pass any of my classes in eighth grade. Math is going to be the death of me. So just so happens, you know, I, like the day you go and you meet all your teachers and then we go into the classroom and the math teacher's name was Miss Fawbush. Now, it was weird because my mom knew this lady through the weirdest circumstance. Miss Fallbush had been married to my mom's ex-boyfriend. And so really, really complicated, really, really weird. And I was like, either this teacher's gonna love me or she's going to hate me. Luckily, Miss Fallbush loved me. And she had naturally looked at my grades from the previous year, and she had noticed that I was struggling very, very, very badly in math. And so she kind of pulls me aside in that first week and she says, TJ, look, I know that you're behind in math. Like there's no hiding that. There's no covering that up. I know that you're probably really, really worried about your grades in this class, but here's what I want to do for you. I want to give you a plan. I want to give you a plan to make sure that you succeed in this class. And so what did she do? She gave me extra homework, which no student ever wants to hear. You get extra homework. And she said, if you do these extra assignments, I think you'll be able to catch up 
and you'll do well in your classes. And I was like, I don't, like doing extra work is going to help me. I don't see how that works as an eighth grader. More work seems like terrible. But sure enough, with my mom's encouragement and Ms. Fallbush's encouragement, I started to do the extra assignments and I started to work towards getting better in math. And guys, fast forward, awards day, I was sitting probably like third row. I was like, I'm going to get the PE award and that's going to be it. But the math comes up and they were like, who is the most, like, most improved math student of the year? And they call my name. And like, that's the only award I ever kept from anything is math student of the year, eighth grade. But the reason that I tell you that story is I didn't know that I was going to like succeed in math. Just like this man didn't know he was going to gain his sight, but he was obedient. He had hope that he would gain sight again, and he went. Remember, at this time, no one had ever regained their sight from being blind from birth. This is the first time, and I think probably the only time, that this has ever happened. Yet, he was hopeful, and he was obedient in the midst of his darkness. He went and washed, and because of that, he gained his sight. So the thing is, are you willing to put in the work in the midst of the darkness? Are you willing to change your, your point of view in the darkness, to start having hope in whatever it is again? If your marriage is having problems, are you willing to look at the little things that are going right and focusing in on those things instead of the hard things. And we can do that for just about anything. Are you looking for hope or are you just focusing in on the bad things? Let's continue reading our passage. Verse eight, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man, which is hilarious. Just like think about being the blind man that now sees. And everybody's like, weren't you blind? And he's like, yep, that's me. And they're like, no, that can't be him. And he's like, I am that guy. Like I sat there forever. I was blind and now I see. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. What do we do when we are in darkness? We remember that Jesus uses bruises for good. The way that this blind man handled these questions is phenomenal. He didn't, he didn't really understand exactly how all of this stuff happened. He didn't understand really who Jesus was at this point either. If we read down another verse, they actually ask him, where did this man go? And he says, I don't know. Well, he doesn't know because he was blind when Jesus walked off. He doesn't understand everything that's happened. And sometimes that's our story too when we come out of the darkness. We don't understand how we got through it. We don't understand everything, but we know what Jesus did for us in the midst of it. And we can share that. For those of you that have been through darkness and you've come out on the other side, sometimes people question, how did that happen? How were you able to get through this difficult situation? 
And sometimes you say the cliche answer of, Jesus, Jesus helped get me through it. And it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes people question it and they say, that doesn't make any sense. And you're like, I know, but Jesus did it. But Jesus did it. And you see, this man, he doesn't try to explain every little thing. He just shares what he experienced. Sometimes we question whether we can share our stories about coming out on the other side of darkness because we don't necessarily understand how it all happened. But here's the thing. When we share our encounters with Jesus, it has power. It has power. We don't have to understand how every little thing worked. All we have to do is share our story and be obedient in that. And God is glorified through that. People can see Christ through our stories. Going back to my friend Alvin. Alvin, like I said, was in a very dark place, questioning faith, questioning different things. He was still going to church, still reading his Bible, trying to figure out everything. The thing about Alvin was he eventually did come out on the other side of it. He, he came to understand why some of it happened. He still doesn't understand why he had to lose his mom. But he came out on the other side of it. And I, got to, I literally got to see God use his terrible, dark place for good. So like I said, we, we had these leadership teams that would build every single year. And we would disciple each other, challenge each other. Well, the following year, we had a guy on our hall named Avery. And Avery was such a nice guy. He was, I think, two years younger than us. Avery had two brothers, one, I guess both younger. One was really young, and the other was about 16 years old. And one day, he gets a call that his brother has been given about three months to live because of cancer. And so immediately, we come around him. We love on him. We're like, dude, whatever you need, we're here for you. Literally two days later, he gets the call that his little brother has passed away. Terrible, terrible. I remember just thinking, like, God, what is going on? Like, why do all these friends of mine keep losing loved ones? But at that point, Alvin had been out of his darkness and was on the road to healing. And Alvin was able to come alongside Avery and say, Avery, look, our stories are different. How we grieve is different. But this is what I do know is you can get through it. And he would give him advice and he'd say, look, this is what I did. This is what's helped me be able to get through this difficult time. And because of that, Avery was able to get through his dark place. And now both of them are doing like amazing ministries, have both amazing ministries in different parts of the country. But the crazy thing is, a year later, another guy in our hall lost a parent. And then I got to see Avery do the same thing. Did they understand why they had to lose a loved one? No. But because of it, they grew closer to God. You see, this man, this blind man, which I really wish they would have given a name because it's weird to call the blind man when he sees blind. But anyway, the blind man, he's questioned by the neighbors. He shares what he knows. He says, all I know is the man that calls himself Jesus healed me. Then he's brought in. He's brought in by the religious leaders. And they say, who healed you? And he says, all I know is this man named Jesus healed me. 
they go and they're like, well, that's not a good enough answer. They didn't, he didn't give me what I wanted. So they ask his parents and his parents are like, he's old enough. He's old enough. He can answer for himself. So he's brought back in again. And he goes from saying, look, Jesus, this man, they call Jesus, Jesus, the prophet. He gave Jesus the greatest title he could give the greatest title. He thought he knew of because prophets at the time had such a high esteemed title. And he said, Jesus, the prophet. So his understanding of Jesus continued to grow as he was going through this situation, as he was sharing his story. By the end of it, we have Jesus coming because the blind man had been beaten up by all these questions. And honestly, the blind man starts getting a little sassy. But Jesus comes to him and he says, do you believe in the son of man? And the blind man says, who is he, sir? The man asks, tell me so that I may believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The man at the point of the physical healing, he didn't quite understand who Jesus was. He just knew what Jesus had done for him. But as he continued to share, as he continued to be questioned, he got a greater appreciation for who God is. And sometimes we have to be in the darkness. Sometimes we go through darkness and then there's difficulties ahead. But throughout that, as we share who Jesus is, as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, we get a greater appreciation of who he is day by day. And for many of you that thought about in that first question, that difficult time, many of you are able to look back on that and maybe you're not grateful that it happened. Maybe you're not grateful that those things happened to you, but you're also able to say, I went through that for a reason. I went through that for a reason. My question for you is, are you willing to let God use your bruises? Some of you have been beaten up your entire life. You're like, TJ, I'm covered in bruises. Some of you maybe just have a really big one. Maybe some of you don't have that many at all. But are you willing to let God use the difficult things in your life to bring him glory? Some of you know my story, some of the hurts that I've went through and how I use that pretty much every single week in the ministry I do with my students. Am I grateful for the things that I experienced as a child. I mean, I wish I didn't have to go through it, but to be honest, I know that I went through that for a reason, that I went through abuse, that I went through being dirt poor and having a single mother who was trying to care for us. I know I went through that for a reason because it helps me in my ministry today. But for a while, I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I went through that stuff. I was ashamed that I grew up the way that I did, that I didn't really have a good relationship with my father. But now I look at, man, because of my experience, God has helped me love and serve so many other people. Are you willing to let God use your bruises? Because we're all going to be in dark places at one time or another. Hopefully, we'll handle these situations correctly. I'm just going to ask you guys just to bow your heads. The band's going to sneak up. And I just have three questions for you guys. As you're reflecting on 2019, as you're looking forward to 2020, are you going to start handling the dark times properly? Are you going to start looking for community 
when you're hurting? Are you going to recognize that there's hope in the midst of the darkness? Are you going to obey and continue to seek after him even when life really stinks? And then lastly, are you going to share your story? It's time that when life gets difficult, we refocus, we change our perspective, and we take our eyes off of our negative, the negative things going on in our lives, and we start putting our eyes on him. That when Jesus tells us to go, that we go. Today, I'm going to ask, if there's anyone in this room that maybe you're going through a difficult time, and you would say, you know what, TJ, to be honest with you, I have been isolating myself. I've been running from everybody because honestly, I don't want to really deal with what I'm going through. If today you say, TJ, look, I need to find community. If you'll just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see you. Then there's some of you in this room that maybe you just want to say, TJ, I I need a perspective change. My view on my circumstances, on my life, just aren't right. They're very cynical. Today, if you just need a change of perspective and you need to start focusing in on the, the good things, the things you're thankful for, if you'll just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see you guys. And then last but not least, and I know Zach challenged some of you guys to do this a few weeks ago. Some of you have some of the craziest stories in the world where you were in darkness, where life looks terrible and how you came out on the other side of it. But some of you just haven't been sharing your story with those that need to hear it. If that's you today and you just say, TJ, just pray that I have the courage to share my story. If you'll just raise your hand. I see you guys. It's not easy, but lives can be transformed by sharing your story. There's power in our testimonies and what God has done in our lives. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much. I thank you so much that your ministry consisted both of healing people physically, like we kind of focused in on today, but also spiritually. How this man was spiritually dead and how you brought him to life. Dear God, I pray that those in this room that have been healed spiritually, that we remember how much you loved us and how you came down here to die for us. But dear God, that doesn't mean that things in this life are gonna be easy. That, that doesn't mean we're not gonna go through hard times. But dear God, I just pray that we begin to handle the dark times of life properly, that we had the proper perspective, that we remember that we are not alone, that you love us, that you created us. Dear God, and then those of us that have been through dark times and difficult times, dear God, I pray that we begin to share our story. Dear God, lives can be changed when we talk about what you have done in our lives. Dear God, speak through us. And if you put somebody on our heart who we need to reach out to, I pray that we do that this week. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.